sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. You know, in our effort to protect our individual rights, our liberties, uh, sometimes it is minorities that we may not think of all the time as our friends that, that stand up for what become the greatest victory. And I know over the years, the Jehovah Witnesses have won many, many cases before the Supreme Court defending our religious freedoms. In the current climate, after 9-11, the Muslim community has fought a number of legal battles to protect all of our civil rights. Our guest today, Hassan Shipley, is the director of the Council on American-Islamic Relations in Florida. Hassan, welcome to Freedom's Ring. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. And I, I understand, let's start with the, the story of, of your actually being a plaintiff in a case. Tell us about that case, and apparently a notable victory for the rights of everybody. Yes, it's actually a victory about 15 years in the making. And I remember it started when I was a, actually a teenager crossing the border, coming back from an Islamic conference in Canada. And the U.S. Customs and Border Protection pulled us in for a so-called random inspection. And when we went in the room for random inspection, as they called it, we found about 40 members of the Muslim community, all U.S. citizens, all of us held for about six to seven hours, fingerprinted, interrogated, frisked, questioned, treated like criminals. And the only so-called suspicious activity we engaged in was exercising our First Amendment right to attend a religious-based uh, conference. Unfortunately, this was way back in about 2005. It was the beginning of many, many years of being stopped and treated like a second-class citizen every time of travel. Even as a teenager, I'd been placed in handcuffs while crossing the border. And this is actually what inspired me to become a civil rights attorney, seeing now that our communities was at risk, I remember, and our liberty was at risk. I remember speaking to the border agents who stopped us, and I said, listen, I'm afraid that while you're wasting your time on these 40 law-abiding American Muslim citizens, while non-citizens are actually in and out in about 10, 15 minutes, and we're held for six, seven hours, we're questioned about our religious practices, our beliefs. I said, real criminals could be getting by. He said, you know, we're afraid of the same exact thing. And that's, that's actually what opened up my eyes to the fact that when the government starts to treat a community differently, uh, simply based on their religious affiliation, it's undermining both our freedom and our liberty. It's making us less safe and less free. And that's ultimately why I decided to fight back to protect both our liberty as Americans, that Americans, no Americans should be treated differently on account of their religion by the government. And when one group is, we all are. And also to protect our security, because ultimately when the government decides to profile people, it misses real threats that have nothing to do with that religious connection. Um, unfortunately, now let me let yeah, me jump in here, Hassan, because there's a part of the story that you kind of glossed over that I think is very interesting to me. And if I understood you, uh, some of you, you yourself were pulled over, not just because you were Muslim, but because you attended a Muslim religious program in Canada, which means that the government somehow must have been monitoring 
what it was that you and others were doing in Canada. Is that correct? It's correct. It was monitoring us, and it was actually monitoring the conference itself, the religious conference, and it falsely claimed that such a religious conference could be used as a hotbed to recruit you know, terrorists and violence, which was complete nonsense. In fact, that conference was attended by the mayor of Toronto, by many political officials in Canada. And I remember attending the conference. The whole theme of the conference was how can we as Muslims better serve society, better serve community, better build bridges across different faith communities. It was all about building tolerance, standing up for humanity, for compassion and for service to others. You know, this is a little off the topic that we're going to get to. But I have often spoken to churches about the erosion of religious freedom and reminded them that, you know, we don't feel that erosion in church because there was no FBI agent sitting out in the parking lot writing down all of our license plates. And, you know, and of course, it's because we're in a church and not a mosque. And, you know, what you're reporting going back to 2005, unfortunately, is not something that is just past history, but there has been pervasive surveillance of the Islamic community, of perfectly law-abiding, and yes, it has a chilling effect on the exercise of religious freedom. But So you were motivated by this experience to become a civil rights attorney and then to become a plaintiff in this lawsuit that challenged what practice exactly? So basically what happened is a few years ago, we started to get an increase in complaints from all over the country from all over the country of mostly of American Muslims who complained about being stopped at the border at different ports of entry from New York to Florida to L.A. and everywhere in between and being held for hours and being questioned in particular about their religious practices. So they were being asked questions like, are you a devout Muslim? How many times a day do you pray? What mosque do you go to? What school of thought do you follow? And again, all of that is very offensive to the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And basically what we documented is individuals like myself and just about Every member of the Muslim community is either themselves stopped or knows somebody who keeps getting stopped every time they travel. So it's clear there was some sort of program which was resulting in us continuously being stopped, continuously be asked, being asked about our religion. And that's when we decided to file suit and get involved in, obviously, the discovery. And at that point, you know, it was clear that the government had a watch list system that disproportionately targeted members of the Muslim community that resulted in law-abiding citizens who've done nothing wrong being treated as suspects and then subjected to very, uh, you know, humiliating, troubling treatment every time they travel. In fact, to the point, you know, in, in Hillsborough County, we've actually trained the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. And in our training of the department, they acknowledge to us that whenever they're around the mosque and they're just running plates, the majority of plates will come back as a so-called known or suspected terrorist, which means they're on the watch list. And they laugh at it because they know it's meaningless. These are innocent people who've done nothing wrong that have been arbitrarily put on a list, which means a special alert comes on whenever a police officer pulls them over. And that's led to risking lives. There's one of the plaintiffs in the case was driving with his family, got pulled over for speeding. And then when the officer ran his plate, says his terrorist, he called back up. They actually pulled their guns out on the family. And it was just an elderly couple with their young kids. It wasn't, uh, you know, a threat, but it could have very easily escalated into a very dangerous situation. So listening to you, Hassan, one of the things that occurs to me is that, you know, there certainly is a national security interest in being aware of identifying and being able to address those who really are a danger to our country, right? right? Mm. So we start with the fact that there really are some terrorists, some of whom are Muslim, 
some of whom are dangerous, and we need to know who they are, and we need to be able to address them from a security standpoint. When you take that smaller group and you throw them into this ocean of all Muslims, you dilute the ability to actually find and address the ones who really are dangerous. Now they're just buried in this sea of innocent people. I mean, the list becomes meaningless because you have too many false positives, and that's why every class of, of law enforcement that I've trained have acknowledged to me that the list is a joke, the list is meaningless, it doesn't help them do their job, because they've literally never caught a dangerous person utilizing that list. It's always innocent Americans. You know, there is a terrorist threat that comes out of every community because terrorism is a human problem. It is not a religious problem. DHS has acknowledged the biggest threat for domestic terrorism is from white supremacist groups. Depriving innocent Americans of fundamental liberties, like the freedom to travel without undue hindrance, uh, it does not make us safer. It simply deprives us both of liberty and safety and gives us a false sense of security, which I think is actually more dangerous for us. So you filed this lawsuit. And apparently you won. Yes, it was. Uh, honestly, for 15 years, I've been telling my friends at Homeland Security, at CBP, that what they're doing is wrong, that it's not right that every time my kids travel and cross the border, they're expected to be held for hours, questioned about their religion, that we're treated like second-class citizens. It's making us feel like enemies, unwelcome, uncomfortable. Uh, it's unconstitutional. It's against the very fabric and soul of what makes America a great and just nation to live in. And thank God, just earlier this year, a few months ago, the court vindicated us, stood with us, and said, indeed, the watch list, which allows innocent people to be treated differently by the government without due process and without an easy remedy to be removed, is unconstitutional. It violates our civil rights, and serious need, uh, change needs to happen. And now we're waiting for the remedies in the case to see what sort of uh, action the court is going to order the government to take. You know, there's two phrases. You used one of them, and these are so central to the rule of law in the United States. The phrase you used was due process, and the other one that comes to my mind is probable cause. Yes. The government doesn't have the right to invade our privacy and to come after us unless they have a good basis in fact, in right. evidence, probable cause. Without right. probable cause, you know, it's the flip it's kind of a kiss and cousin of, of due process of law. Um, it's central to the rule of law to just run roughshod on all of our rights. Um, well, it's obscene is what it is. So the other victory we had was uh, for the last 15 years when the government targets predominantly American Muslims for extra screening at the airport, it demands that they turn over their cell phones. And we know that the U.S. Constitution protects us from the government searching our homes without a warrant, for example. But with modern technology, the cell phone contains way more information than any individual's house could ever contain. It is the most uh, private, intimate, and detailed of a person's data, from personal to professional. So we pushed back. In fact, my brother was a plaintiff in the cell phone search cases. They assaulted him. CBP officers physically attacked him to obtain his phone and force him to unlock it. And it was CBP's position that they could, without any suspicion, without any cause, demand a traveler's cell phone and go through it and even download all the data on it. So we fought back, we filed suit, and the court agreed with us. The court said that CBP cannot search traveler's cell phones without at least articulable, reasonable suspicion of contraband. 
which is a huge step forward for protecting civil rights and privacy at the border. It's a tremendous win for us. And I think ultimately, to summarize all of this, when the government treats people differently, when the government deprives people of liberty, when the government subjects people to harassment without due process and without probable cause, then not only does it deprive us of liberty, which is essentially what makes America a great nation to live, but it also undermines our safety and our security because it's ineffective. And that's why these two victories are critical, both for protecting the liberty and safety and security of Americans. Well, and I hope our listeners can understand that when the government abuses power with respect to the other, the minority, as uh, you know, many Christians may look on Muslim Americans today, they have the same authority to do it to you. And it doesn't matter if, you know, if we say to ourselves, oh, well, I don't have anything to hide. You know, I, you know, there's nothing in my phone that I'm concerned about. Well, that's not the point. The point is we have a system of ordered liberty and, and the government doesn't have the right to trample on our freedoms and just go willy-nilly through our homes, through our cell phones, through our private lives. The right of privacy is very, very important. So I want to thank you for the work that you're doing, not just to protect Muslim Americans, but to protect all Americans and to protect our safety and security. Our guest today has been Hassan Shibley, the director of CARE Florida, which is the Council on American Islamic Relations. Thank you so much for being with us today on Freedom's Ring, and I hope we do it again. It's a pleasure. Keep up the great work, guys. God bless you. God bless America. And as we close, remember at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. So check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom Spring, on the web at religiousliberty.info. And be sure to listen to Freedom Spring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom Spring. I'm your host, Alan Renock. Until next week, let freedom ring.